Um, the Bible reading tonight is from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 33. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Then after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Good evening, church. Sorry, I'm a youth group leader. I expect some sort of response when I say that. No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, my name is Lachlan. I am also a member and a pastor of Norway Baptist Church. Uh, in case it wasn't obvious, I'm the youth pastor, hence me using technology to preach from. Um, now, we've already had, in my mind, a really great start to this night. Uh, we've managed to sing together, uh, which is nice that we're allowed to do that now. Uh, we got to hear testimonies of how God is at work in people's lives in this community. And then we heard God's Word read to us. And so this is the part of the service where I'm now going to take some time to try and explain what God's Word is trying to teach us from those verses. So join me in prayer as I ask God to really be the one speaking up here tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that we have the ability to read it together here tonight. Please allow the words I say now to be true and correct, and may your Holy Spirit be working in the hearts of everyone listening. Amen. Now, when I was in the final years of high school, my family and I went snorkeling at the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, I had left my family behind. I was uh, harassing a small little octopus in the reef, poor little guy. And in the distance, I see my father. And so I swim over to him. And having become fairly bored, I decided I would do what many sons and fathers do, which is begin to wrestle. And as I'm wrestling this man... Um, that gives it away. I look over into the distance and see my mother swimming. Next to her, I see my sister swimming. And next to her, I see my father swimming. Now, the realization took embarrassingly long, but eventually it dawned on me that I was wrestling a total stranger. This man had no idea who I was or why I was trying to drown him. Now, I've never been a great swimmer, but I swam away from that man the fastest I ever have in my entire life. Uh, just trying to put distance between me and this total and utter stranger. Now, to make this story even more embarrassing, here's a photo of me from that day. Oh, look at that. 
<laughs> Let's take that off the screen. Uh, not realizing someone's true identity can be very, very embarrassing. However, re- not realizing someone's true identity can also be disastrous. Uh, in 2013, I was a secret fan of the show Undercover Boss, which takes uh, a CEO from a major company and disguises them as one of the employees in that company. Now, most of the shows end on a really happy note. The CEO has walked a mile in their employees' shoes and they really value them more. However, in this one episode, the boss breaks her cover to fire one of her employees when he says the words, I literally hate customers more than anything else in the entire world. Now, if you worked retail before, you may have thought that. Uh, Just don't say it to someone who's new to work. They may actually be your boss. Uh, Now, the staff member obviously felt pretty hard done by Uh, But ultimately, this situation arose because this staff member didn't realize the identity of the person that he was talking to. Now, we've been looking at the book of Mark at youth group on a Friday night, and we've been looking at who is Jesus and is he worth following? And Mark 8, 22 to 33, lies at the very center of the whole book of Mark. And this passage answers the question for us of who is Jesus really? we find out that Jesus is the Messiah, the appointed king. However, his kingdom will come about through suffering, rejection, and death. For those who don't realize Jesus' true identity, the results will be disastrous. For those who understand him to be Messiah, but don't understand the nature of his kingdom, the result's going to be very, very embarrassing. So that, therefore, we want to be in the third category of people, who know and understand who Jesus is and what his mission is. We want to be people who knew who the authentic Jesus is. So as we turn to the passage, we see that Jesus is walking with his disciples. And in verse 27, he asks the question of, who do people say I am? The previous seven whole chapters and 26 verses of Mark is leading up to this moment. Because people are wondering, who is Jesus? This is a guy that's been walking along, proclaiming the coming of the kingdom, But who is he? Now, everyone who has seen Jesus has realized that there is something special about him. And so the general thoughts of some of the people were that he was a prophet of some type. You see, he claimed to be sent by God. He performed many signs and wonders, and he taught powerfully. And so Jesus' disciples give Jesus a selection of answers along this line. Um, Earlier in Mark, we see that King Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist returned. And it also seems that he wasn't alone in that thought. Um, There was also a general expectation uh, that the prophet Elijah would return before the day of the Lord commenced. And here he was Jesus preaching about how the day of the Lord was coming. So some people thought Jesus was Elijah. Still other people thought that he wasn't a past prophet coming back, but just the next in the line of prophets who continued to proclaim God's word to his people. Uh, This is a view that we see some of Jesus' disciples still held all the way in the Emmaus Road story. Um, And this is a view that even today is still held by other religions such as Islam. However, then Jesus asks a question which makes his disciples go from armchair, theoretical discussion, the safe place, into a really personal dialogue. And that is by asking the question of, who do you say I am? Now, that's a pretty confronting question. If someone asked me, who am I? I have no idea where I'd even start to answer that question. But Peter, our old mate Peter, 
always the first to open his mouth for good or for ill, jumps in and says that he has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, as someone who's been reading Mark's gospel, this shouldn't really surprise us. Literally, the very first verse in Mark tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. However, for the disciples, this has been a long process, a long journey to discover that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, However, we should probably explain what the Messiah actually means. This is a title we shouldn't just throw around for no reason. Uh, The term Messiah means anointed one. Um, This should make all of the Jewish people think in the Bible of all the priests, prophets, and kings who are anointed with oil in the Old Testament. Now, it doesn't seem like there was a universal understanding of what the Messiah would do, but the general impression is that the Messiah would be a priestly prophet-like king in the line of David, and that he would come to save Israel from all oppression. Jesus also later in verse 1 links the term Messiah to the term Son of Man, which is another Old Testament uh, title that has some divine overtones to it, right? And so what Jesus' true identity is in this passage is that he is the Messiah King who will rule However, not just for a little while like other kings would, but forever, for eternity. Now, the disciples have just been led on into the biggest secret of the world. Like, they now know who the eternal ruler of this world is. However, then Jesus, in verse 30, tells them not to tell anyone. And we know at least one of them failed at this task. Because Mark has written it in his gospel, so they told someone. However, I think the next few verses actually explain why Jesus told them to not yet tell anyone who he was. And that's because the disciples did not understand what being the Messiah meant. You see, Jesus begins teaching about his coming kingdom. Um, He begins teaching that he would rule forever. However, this would come about by really shameful means. Not by mighty victory, but by his death. Now, Jesus' death was necessary because he wants his kingdom to be an eternal kingdom with us in it. And we can only be in this kingdom if we have been freed from sins. And so that is what Jesus came to do. He came to preach and enact that we can be members of his kingdom, members of the heavenly community, free of sin. However, the only way that he was going to do that is by going to the cross and dying as a sacrifice so that we can be released from sin. Now, Mark says that Jesus states all of this plainly which, fun fact, is the only time that word is used in the book of Mark. I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, To me, this suggests that the disciples have just reached like a new level of relationship with Jesus. Before this moment, Jesus keeps teaching in parables, uh, which are disguised to make the truth harder to attain, really designed so that people would only find the truth if they worked hard to find it. But right now, Jesus starts speaking to them plainly, which is a really nice change uh, change of pace. However, we see that the disciples do not respond well to this. Um, In fact, Peter is so shocked by the Messiah's plans that he decides to rebuke Jesus. Now, Peter probably hoped that the Messiah would bring about a military victory and free Israel from Roman rule. And even if that wasn't his expectation, he at the very least refused to accept that the kingdom of God could come about in such a tragic way. Um, However, Jesus then rebukes Peter in words kind of as strong as you could possibly imagine. He says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
The fact that Jesus looked at all of his disciples as he said this, uh, I think means we can imply that this rebuke is actually intended for all of them. Um, It is also important to recognize that Jesus is rebuking Peter's thoughts and not him personally here. Now, Jesus rebukes Peter because God has an intention for the Messiah. The intention is that the Messiah will triumph, will begin his eternal rule through his death. Now, this means that the real enemies of God are not the Roman armies or the people who are against us, but instead, sin and death are the true enemies. And these are the people Jesus came to conquer as king. And this is the concern of God. Now, it's obvious that the disciples missed the concern of God in this moment, but it's also got me thinking about in what other areas I miss the concern of God and what areas I've been rebuked in for not having in mind the thoughts of God. I remember many years ago when I was a youth student complaining to my own youth pastor about how I just wanted Jesus to come back because I was so sick and tired and had an awful week. Now, my youth pastor rebuked me then, which I thought was pretty rough. I was like, you're right. But he rebuked me because he said he had far too many non-Christian friends for Jesus to come back yet. And so he had in mind the concerns of God. His concerns were heavenly and of God, and mine were really, in that moment, earthly and selfish. Another time I was rebuked, was when I'd just gotten my first full-time job uh, and had moved out of home. Now, I was pretty strapped for cash and didn't have a lot of money, so I obviously wasn't giving to things like church or other Christian ministries. And as I was seeing a sermon one day, I just received a rebuke from what I can only describe as the Holy Spirit himself, is that I didn't have in my mind the concerns of God and was instead being really selfish with what he had provided for me. And so I decided I needed to stop focusing on human concerns and instead focus on what God wanted, especially in this topic of my finances. Now, I don't know in what way you don't have the concerns of God in mind. However, I do have a way that you can start having them in mind. When God appeared to Abraham, right back in the book of Genesis, he said, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Uh, The word walk here is a habitual activity. It's something that we do over and over and over. And so the way we can keep God's concerns in our mind is to maintain daily habits of prayer, worship, and regular and consistent Bible reading. The youth pastor recommending that we read our Bibles? Who would have thought? Um, However, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? When I first started Bible college, uh, I, I was one of the people that should be loving the Bible, that should be reading it every day. And yes, I was studying the Bible in class every day, but I wasn't reading it for me. I wasn't reading it in a way that let my behavior and my attitudes change to reflect the concerns of God. Now, when I realized that, I was really challenged and decided that I needed to start reading God's Word for myself in a way that actually let it change me. And so in the very first week, I committed to reading God's Word every day. I found that the scripture I read that morning played out actively in my day somehow. It was actually quite a wild first week of reading the scriptures for myself. Um, And let me encourage you to also read the scriptures. Uh, Read the Bible and see what God reveals to you about what he has as concerns. If you need a way to start reading the Bible, look up here. Because you see, as a young adult community, we have a Bible reading plan, um, which is really helpful because we read these words together. 
We read in community, and this allows the habit to be formed easier and the habit to be sustained longer. So what I want you to do is get out your phones and take a picture of it. I'm not kidding. I'm just going to wait up here until I see some phones out taking photos. Yep, just going just gonna to wait. Yeah, there's a few photos out there. Some people still haven't unlocked their phones, so I'm just going to take a drink. <laughs> the people who aren't taking photos are more stubborn than I am, so <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Um, now, Lachlan has just done application in his sermon. He must be almost done. Sorry, that's not true. Because there's a whole chunk of the passage we haven't even looked at yet. Because we haven't yet looked at the bit where Jesus heals a blind man. However, it's a bit of an awkward story because Jesus failed the first time. And that's pretty awkward for us too, who have just said that at least some of us really believe Jesus is the, defi- the, the divine Messiah. So what's going on here? How did Jesus take two attempts to heal a blind man? Um, here's what I think is going on. Jesus is using this miracle as a teaching moment. This miracle is an acted parable. Because you see, there are those who are blind to the truth, and there are those who uh, have seen the truth clearly. And that itself would be a really great illustration for the conversation Jesus is about to have with his disciples. However, that's not the situation that happens. Instead, he performs a miracle where it takes him two attempts. Yes, it's a little bit awkward for the guy who had to be part of an acted parable without even knowing, but he got healed, so I think he's going to be all right. Here's what I think is happening and being represented in this two-stage healing. When the man was totally blind, he represents all of those people who say that Jesus is John the Baptist, Elijah, or just another one of the prophets. You see, they've grasped that Jesus is special, but that was undeniable from the very beginning but they've missed the truth about his real identity. He isn't a prophet who's coming before the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And to miss this truth is disastrous. Uh, Next, Jesus places his hands on the man's eyes and suddenly the man can partially see. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In this stage, the blind man represents Peter, who sees and understands that Jesus is the Messiah. However, he hasn't yet received clear vision. He doesn't understand what the Messiah is or what the Messiah does. And because of this misunderstanding, by not recognizing Jesus' true identity, Peter has a very embarrassing moment a few verses on. Finally, when the blind man is fully healed and sees everything clearly, this is the point we are trying to get to of seeing and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah and that he needed to suffer, die, and rise to bring about his eternal divine kingdom. Now, the purpose of this passage is to correct our misconceptions about Jesus because he is the Messiah King, but that kingdom only comes about through death and rejection and shame and suffering. Uh, James and Nick tonight have told us that they've realized that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, They have realized something true and good about Jesus. And they stood up here and told us that they want to make a public declaration that they recognize Jesus as Messiah and let Jesus dictate how they live their lives because Jesus is their Lord and their God. However, I need to challenge them and I need to challenge everyone here that do we have the authentic Jesus in mind? Not one of our own making, 
but one that is defined by the scriptures we read. You see, the true Jesus is often not the one we actually want. Paul says that the Messiah dying on the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. I still have many people in my life with a false view of Jesus. My grandmother is a good example of this. To her, Jesus is a kind creator who loves everyone and would never get angry or judge. She has partially grasped the truth here. She has begun to see Jesus. She knows some true things about him. However, she's still partially blind to the authentic Jesus. One of my good friends is an example of someone who is still just blind. He actually loves the morality Jesus preached, which in and of itself is a strange thing in our society, but he loves the Jesus that he reads about in Scripture. But he still doesn't see him as the Messiah or as someone that he should give his life to. He's begun to see some truths, but he's still living in darkness. He's still blind to the truth. Uh, Now, the other day, I actually challenged him about the way he views Jesus. I used something known as C.S. Lewis's trilemma, which says uh, that Jesus can't just be a good moral teacher because he claimed to be the Messiah King, which means he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's the trilemma. Um, John Duncan sums it up really well. Here's what Jesus did. He either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or himself was deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. If Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, these are our three options in front of us. Now, if anyone in your life right now doesn't know Jesus, I want you to introduce them to Jesus, the one we find in Scripture. And if, like my friend they begin to really respect the man we find in these pages, then I want you to present this trilemma to them. And hopefully, they will conclude this in the same way that C.S. Lewis does. Here's what he says. It seems to me obvious that Jesus was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I want to challenge everyone here tonight. Are you seeing the authentic Jesus, the one who is the Messiah King, the divine Lord of all, the one who would suffer and die to bring about a kingdom so that we could also have a relationship with God? That is the Jesus we encounter in Mark 8. And he is the one that James and Nick have committed to serving tonight. That is the authentic Jesus that his authentic church tries its utter best to serve. I want to pray now that we may be able to see and follow that Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, allow me and us to see you as you really are, as our King. Allow us to discover you in your word and give us all a hunger to read it. And allow us to have in mind your concerns and not our own. Please continue to draw all those who don't clearly see you to yourself. Amen.